starting at verse 14 to 17, Matthew 9, uh, 14 to 17. This is just going to be the uh, framework for the message this morning that I feel like God has really placed on my heart for you guys. And the title of this message is Jesus Questioned About Fasting. Amen. We're going to talk about fasting this morning. No, we're not. And, uh, but that's just what it is. Uh, this is what it says. Uh, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it? Uh, that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, how, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will, be, will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The title of this message is Preserved for His Purpose. Preserved for His Purpose. I believe that we are in the preservation game, that, that we are all about preserving what God has placed in us uh, for the long haul. And, um, and so, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a real movie buff. I love a good movie. Uh, I get to Sunday after church, and I, I just want to blob. I, I, I'm a big fan of blobbing, you know, and uh, I like to watch mindless uh, films that, that, that just allow me to decompress does anybody else know what I'm talking about? I mean, on a Sunday morning, I don't know what you guys are like Sunday morning, but for me, it's, it's just like, the, you know, it's like game day. It's like the biggest day of the week, and uh, there's so many things running through your mind, and that when you get to the afternoon, you just want to shut off. You just want to close down, and I know no one else feels that way. It's just, it's just a sinner like me, I know, and uh, I am weak. I mean, but uh, one of the great movies that I love watching, I always love true stories. I love the, you know, because there's always a lesson somewhere in there. Um, anybody uh, heard of the movie Moneyball? Come on, give me a wave if you've heard of that movie. Okay, a couple of people. Thank you, Lord, that there were a couple of anointed people in the room today. All right, you guys can come and sit up the front here. Come on. All right, so this is, the Moneyball story is a story about a baseball team uh, called the Oakland A's, Oakland Athletics. And uh, in 2001, the Oakland A's were the worst team in the league. They lost pretty much every single game. They, were, they had a budget of about $39 million, which sounds like a lot, but compared to teams with a budget of around $130 million, uh, they were right down the bottom of the pecking order. And so they constantly lost game after game after game. Now, the general manager who was in charge of the, of the team, he wasn't the owner. He was the, the guy that was really responsible, the guy that does all the work, like an intern. You know, you, know, you guys know what you're talking about, you know, and uh, like an intern, you know, the, the guy that does all the work. And anyway, he was placed in charge of choosing a team uh, of players that would be more successful. Uh, but with a budget of 39, it was a no-win situation. But then something crazy happened. He meets a guy, uh, so, the, so the general manager's name is Billy Bean. He meets a guy by the name of Paul De, De, De Podesta. I should have pronounced this better, but a De Podesta, just believe me, that's how it's pronounced, okay? And, uh, and he meets this guy, 
uh, named Paul, and, uh, and, and they begin a, a strategy using a different way of playing the game and selecting people. It's called sabermetrics, and it's, it's a method that's focused on statistics and, and analyzing the performance of players based around their ability uh, to work together as a team to achieve their goal. Now, around in the movie, uh, there's a scene where they're all sitting around a boardroom table. You've got all these old heads around there, all these wise men who have been in the game 30-plus-odd years, and they're telling Billy Bean that what he's about to do is crazy, it's wrong, it's not how you play baseball, it's not baseball at all. You know, that was my attempt at an American accent. That was terrible. And, uh, and, uh, but, but Billy Bean did not listen to them. He believed that they, it needed to change change, that there needed to be a shift. And so with the help of his colleague Paul, they began a system by selecting these people that everyone else overlooked, that were considered the outcasts of the game, and they chose those people based on their stats. Well, something crazy happened. In the 2001 year, they were the worst team. In 2002, a matter of one season, they turned it around and they became one of the most successful teams based on the same budget, $39 million, and um, they went uh, and actually achieved 20 games uh, winning streak in a row. That's what a streak means, in a row. You know? and, uh, and, and so they, they completed their task, and they went on and became one of the most successful teams. Uh, the Red Sox picked up the same strategy the following years, and that led them to win their championship. And the key was this that Billy Bean wasn't willing to just buy into the status quo. He was willing to try something different, try something new, try something that was considered radical, but it actually allowed him to succeed at a higher level. I'm here to remind us all as a church that God is, uh, when God calls us into this thing we call church, it's a radical decision that you're making. He's calling you to live on the edge of where you are. Let me tell you that that when you read scriptures like take your cross up daily and follow me, it doesn't sound like any bit of comfort at all. It sounds like the most uncomfortable uh, thing that you could possibly do. Take your cross up daily and follow me. But yet, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Can I get an amen in the room? And so, um, so... I believe that we're, we're called to preserve, uh, to preserve what God has placed in our hands. And I want to explain that in just a minute. The first thing the Scriptures teaches us is this. Number one, that we, are, we have to prepare the patch. Everyone say, prepare the patch. Okay, all those that were disobedient just before, can you guys say, prepare the patch. There we go. Uh, Matthew 9 and 16, it says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Now, often when you hear this passage preached, there's always this negative thing about the old wineskins. I'm here to tell you that that's not what the Scripture is really telling you. There was nothing wrong with the old wineskins. And, and uh, there was nothing wrong with, with uh, the wineskins that had been uh, used before. Actually, what you will find out is wineskins are actually reusable. You can use them again and again and again. The problem is you can't put a new one with the old one. 
because a new one is not prepared yet to be able to handle the wine that's poured in because it's not yet shrunk. And the same way, we as a church, we've got to remember that, that God wants us to prepare uh, our, the, the patch, meaning we've got to prepare our hearts for the new thing that he wants to pour in. Are you guys hearing this this morning? It starts with us. It starts with every single one of you here this morning. If you want the new thing of God, well, you've got to prepare your heart for the new thing of God. You've got to actually shift the way you think about yourself. You've got to actually shift the way you talk about yourself because language is important because I can tell what's going on in a person's heart just by simply listening to the words that come out of their mouths. Because the Bible tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I know exactly where you're at with the Lord and where you're at with yourself just by simply sitting there and listening to you. And in the same way, we've got to prepare our hearts for the new thing of God. I want to tell you, you know, that God is wanting to do a new thing in this church. Can I get an amen? It's not saying that the old thing was bad because the old thing was good in its generation, but God's wanting to do a new thing. And he's wanting to pour new wine into new wineskins. And that means we've got to prepare our hearts for the new thing. And for many of us, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require us to shift the way we think about things in the church. It's going to require us to shift the way we think about our involvement in the church. There are many of us here who think they have no place in the church right now. I'm here to tell you, you've got to shift their thinking. Because the Bible teaches us elsewhere. Otherwise... It's, it says that, that God's calling out every man, woman, and child. And God's wanting to release something over your life. Is this okay this morning? We've got to remember that in Romans 12 and verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve God's world, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to transform the way we see ourselves, the way we think of ourselves, the way we look at ourselves. Some of you think that you, you weren't educated enough and therefore God can't use you. I'm here to tell you otherwise. Some of you think, well, my, my marriage w- w- broke down and now I'm single, I'm alone. God can't use me because I, I'm, I'm a divorcee. I've, I've been in a broken marriage. God will never use me again. I'm here to tell you, think again. That he would use anyone if that's what he chooses to do. It's his prerogative. That's why he's God and you're not. Is that good news? It should be good news. That's why God is God. So we've got to change the way we think about things, the way we look at things, the way we perceive things. Come on. The old is not bad. It was good in its day, but God wants to release you into a new thing. So some things are going to have to shift. Some things are going to have to change. I love this quote from Edmund Hillary. It says, when he, 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 didn't just conquer, he didn't just attempt to climb the mountain once. He actually tried multiple times to climb Mount Everest. And, uh, and this is a quote from him. It says, um, I will come again and conquer you because mountain, you can't grow, but as a human, I can. I love that. What they're saying is, even if I fail twice or 10 times or 100 times, I still can get myself up again and keep moving forward. I'm going to try again. Some of you here are actually called into ministry, but you've kind of canceled yourself out. 
Others are here to start businesses. I'm saying, yeah, you guys got to start businesses, but you've kind of cancelled yourself out because you had a business once and it failed. It didn't succeed, and now you're, you're, you're too shy. Well, God is saying, it's time for you to, to go again. It's time for you to step out again. It's time for you to step out again. I, I really believe God's wanting to do a new thing in your heart and in your life. You know, the Bible says, uh, talks about revelation. It, there's a description of Peter and, 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 um, and Jesus. They have, they're always having conversations. And in uh, one of them, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, uh, who do they say that I am? And then Simon Peter says this. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father and in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I would, this was not revealed to you by um, man, but by my Father in heaven. You know, I want to say to us this morning, where there's revelation, there's power. Where there's revelation, there's power. You just need a fresh revelation of who God is and who you are in God and what this church is capable of. You just got to get a fresh revelation because where there's revelation, there's power. You know, there is, there is so much uh, potential here. I'm so excited for you guys. I, I look out here and, and I can see all of you. Yeah, you, who think I can't see you. I can see you, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, I just see so much potential here. Where there's revelation, there's power. You just got to get a fresh revelation of who you are. You got to shift your mindset. That's how you prepare the patch. The second thing is this you got to control the poor. Now, many years ago, um, uh, I was actually on a, a missions trip with Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob Lawson and I, you remember this, Bob? We went to China together. Pastor Bob is the best guy to go on any trip with. But a mission trip, that's just the next level. I mean, he is the guy. He is so well-respected and so well-loved over there. Everybody just knows, seems to know who he is. And, and, uh, and because you're part of the team, you kind of get, you know, caught up in all that honoring. You know, so good. That's why it's great to have Bob. Take Bob with you anywhere. He'll get you great deals at restaurants and everything. And... Uh, and so anyway, we, we, we would often meet with different ones, different uh, pastors and leaders in China. We were in Shanghai together and, and in uh, Beijing together. In one of our meetings, uh, we were sitting around a big round table uh, meeting with some pastor who traveled uh, quite a distance to meet with us. I, had caught in, I, I kind of uh, caught on to this, um, this, this uh, cultural practice, which was, um, in order for you, if you wanted to have a cup of tea, you had to pour the cup of the person next to you before you poured your own. It's just a sign of respect. Amen. And, and, uh, and so I caught on to this. But for some strange reason, every meal we had, I was always sitting next to the old women. They always keep putting me next to the old ladies. I don't know why. I think Bob was doing the seating arrangement. But anyway... <laughs> And anyway, so there we were, we were sitting there, and I would pour the cup of tea of the person next to me before I poured my own. And then I'll pour that one, and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm really thirsty, so you better have some. And, and anyway, they, they kind of caught on to what I was doing, and they, they were kind of talking to each other, you know, and, and they were so impressed at what I was doing. You know, I was just like, I am a true missionary in heart. You know, like, and, uh, 
and, and, uh, and, and I was controlling the poor. I don't know about you, but uh, when I grew up as a, as a, as a kid, uh, I have uh, two siblings, an older brother and an older sister. My sister is only like one year older than, than I am, but she thinks she can boss me around. You know, she's like, like all her life, she's, she's like, even today, I mean, we're like, I, I won't say how old we are because I'm in, I'm in denial, but uh, 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 I'm tw- we're over 20, and, uh, and she's still trying to boss me around. When we were kids, we wouldn't have a whole lot, and uh, so every so often we would get uh, like a big bottle of, of Fanta, you know, we seem to love Fanta, but we had to share it, and my sister was in control of the poor, and, and so she would line up the cups, and she would just go like this, measuring out each one, and, and she'll be sitting there, oh, no, no, she'd take the cup and pour it back in there, and, you know, she's pouring it now, drinking it herself, and they're pouring it out. She was in control. We would complain about her, because she was cheating all the time. Anybody else have that upbringing? No one else. No one knows my pain, you know. Like. She was in control of the poor. I believe God wants us to control the poor. God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my maidservants, both male and female, they too shall prophesy in those days. God's pouring out His spirit. But guess what? You control the poor. You control the poor. You control what you receive. The Bible tells us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you want more of God, you've got to hunger and thirst for more of God. You control the poor. God's wanting to pour new wine into new wineskins, and guess what? You control it. You control the level of the new wine you receive. You can be hardened of heart and not receive much from God. Or you can be totally open to the Lord, totally abandoned before God and, and, and ask God, Lord, fill me with so much more that my cup is going to runneth over. That I'm going to have so much that there's going to be so much that comes out of me. I believe God wants us to control the poor. But it's a limitless poor. The more you ask for, the more he receives. Jesus said to the woman at the well, just ask for this water that you will not run dry. This water that you'll never go thirsty again. Come on, I'm offering you this type of water that will never run dry. Come on, how many of you here this morning have cried out to the Lord? and said, Lord, come on, just fill me, fill me, fill me. I need more of you. I need more of you. Or have you gotten to the point now after 20 years of being in the church and 20 years of serving the Lord, you're like this, I don't need any more from God. Come on, I don't want to ever be in a place where I'm not on my knees. It can't just be some nice words on a song that we sing. It's got to be the, the, the cry in our heart that, Lord, when it comes to you and what you have available to me, I may have grown up in the church, but that doesn't mean that, I, that, I, that I've had enough. I want so much more. I want more. I grew up in the church, come on. I grew up in the church, but I, I'm telling you, after you know, next year for me will be 10 years of leading our church. 10-year anniversary. They've trusted this church, <laughs> entrusted this church to me for 10 years. And to celebrate, I'm having a sabbatical. I'm going away. <laughs> but after 10 years of leading this church, all I've really known is this. I need God more than ever before. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. 
After 10 years of running a church, we've got two, three campuses. We've got a church in the Philippines, and then they've got two more campuses. You know, after all this work that God is doing and great things that have happened, all I know is I just need more of God every day. I can't do it without Him. I can't do it. Last week, I was standing before the Lord, and I was like, Lord, I just need you. I don't know what I was doing in the kitchen. I was doing something, and I just said, Lord, I need you. Today, I need you. Come on. We've got to we control the poor. We control what, what goes into it. God's wanting to pour new wine into new wineskins. But he can't if, you, if you're not willing to receive. He's not if you're, he can't if you're not willing to receive from the Lord. Amen, somebody. But the last thing is this. This is where we're going. It says here, verse 17, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. We are in the preservation game. What does that mean? The word preserve actually means to to. to to, to pull together or to bring together or to bring close and to guard. It actually means to guard. And you can, the, the word preserve can be translated uh, uh, into another English word called treasure. You can, you can, uh, both are treasured. Now, my, my, my um, family, I love talking about my family all the time. I love dobbing them in. We have one treasured item in our, in our family that is like an heirloom to us. It's my dad's guitar. My dad passed away when he was 53. But I learned to play the guitar on that guitar. My brother, he's older than me, four or five years older, he learned how to play on that guitar. My sister learned how to play on that guitar. We would listen to our dad on Sundays, Sunday afternoon, playing old Samoan hymns on that guitar. It's beaten up. It's so worn down, there's actually somebody's name etched into it. I don't know, it's my brother, blame him. <laughs> there's all these things wrong with the guitar. When you look at it, you, you will go, man, is that it? What is that thing? You, shouldn't you just throw it away? You, I don't think you could even sell it on Trade Me. Yet it is probably the most treasured thing in our family. We guard that guitar. I, I, it sits in my brother's house. I don't know how he got it, but he got it. <laughs> And uh, it sits in his lounge room in the corner. It takes prime position in his house. And every so often I pick up the guitar and I start strumming it just to, and it takes me right back to the days of listening to my dad singing his old Samoan hymns. It's treasure. And, and the beauty of it is, is this, that guitar, my nephew, who's my, uh, my brother's son, has played on that guitar. And now my nephew's son is now strumming that guitar. He's only, he's only three, and we're going, please don't touch that guitar. <laughs> You've got a nice little plastic ukulele. Play that with him. <laughs> Are you getting this? Preservation is not for us. The preservation of the wine into new wineskins wasn't so that we could enjoy the wine for ourselves. It was actually designed for the generations to come. Yeah. If preservation is all about the next generation. It's about those who are yet to come in. They get the benefit of the, of the sacrifices and the, the work that you went through. They get to enjoy the blessing. Is anybody hearing this this morning? It's treasure. The, the Bible says this, that 
that in Psalms 119 that, that I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I, I've, I've guarded your word. I have protected the word. I have held on to the word. So now the word of God will never be lost in me. Why? Because it is, is planted in there. It is firm in there. This has got to be good news for some parents here this morning. Who've been, who've been crying over the fact that their children are long, no longer in church. Let me tell you, that word you gave them when they were, when they were knee high and when they were that small, that word that you spoke over them is actually, I believe, still in their hearts. Because the Bible tells us that the word does not return void. So that which you prayed over them, that which you spoke over them, that which you read to them uh, all those days, and as they sat in power zone, as they sung the songs in the church services, none of that, none of that was lost. And maybe right now they're, they're living life their way, but that's okay because God is a bigger God than their situation. And then your job as a parent is just to never, keep, uh, uh, never give up on praying. That's your job. You transition from being the instructor to being the intercessor. And you just keep on praying over them. Come on. I've hidden your word. I've treasured it. Come on. This is where I'm going here this morning. I want to finish with this story. You guys would know this name, many of you guys. Alfred Nuttall. He's a former MP. He was spent three terms, I think, national as a national party member. Uh, prior to him being in Parliament, he was also a, a uh, pastor uh, for, I think, about 20 years. Um, I had the privilege of um, having Alfred preach at our church, and, and after the service, we were talking about some things, and I shared with him about some personal frustrations that I was going through and some decisions that I was thinking of making that were going to change some of those frustrations that I had. Yeah, even pastors have frustrations. I know you think we all fly around the room every Sunday morning. I know. The reality is we don't. We're barely crawling in the door. And, uh, and anyway, um, so Alfred gave me this bit of wisdom that I held on to since then. And he said, New, your job is to hold this space. He said, hold this space. And I said, Alfred, what do you mean? He says, well, if you're not there... Who is going to be there? If you're not in that space, then who else is going to be there? Your job is to hold that space so that the next generation can come through. Because your job is not, it's not just about you. See, I was, I was giving him a little bit of a pity party story about what was me, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, you know, I'm all those things. And, 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 and he said, no, your job's to hold that space for the next generation to come. Can I, that's... I had to preserve that space. Come on, can I say to you guys, your job is to hold that space. You might be the only Christian in your family right now. Guess what? Hold that space. You might be the only Christian in your workplace, and come Monday, you're knowing, you know you're going to go back into a volatile environment. Can I tell you, hold that space. Because if you're not there, well, who's going to be there? And if you're not interceding, then who's going to intercede? And if you're not praying, then who's going to pray? And if you're not, you're not planting your feet on solid ground in those spaces, then who is? 
To all you teachers here, can I just encourage you? I know those kids you go and teach every, every week in this next term, you know, they, they, they leave you with headaches and heartaches most of the time, but can I remind you that your job is to hold that space? Because if you're not there, being the soul and light of the world, then who else is going to be there? Is anyone hearing this? That's what preservation means. We, we preserve not for our own benefit, for our own comfort, for our own value. We, we, we hold the space for the generations to come. Elam Hamilton, can I remind you, your job is to, we're in the preservation game. Our job is to hold the space. I want to honor, I know um, he probably doesn't like this, but I want to honor Pastor uh, Bob Lawson. You know, he's, you guys don't realize how amazing this guy really is. I do, because I've seen him over the years, had the privilege of being in meetings with him. And, and I'm telling you, you know, the vision he had for this building alone, you know, you know industrial area where there was nothing around except big trucks and big steel-looking buildings. But you look at it right now. There's developments happening all over this this side of town. There's new, there's new life, there's new development, there's new housing, there's new communities being established. If this church wasn't here to hold the space, where would you be right now? I'm telling you, you've got to hold the space. You hold it in prayer, you hold it with worship, you hold it with the word, but hold the space. Come on, let's all stand together. Uh, this morning. We're in the preservation business. Our job is to preserve that which God has faithfully placed in our hands. He's trusted you with a great responsibility. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. It costs you to hold this space. It's going to cost you to preserve it might be lonely at times, it might be difficult at times, it might be tiring at times, it might be sacrificial at times. But let me tell you, if you're willing to, there's going to be a whole wave of people we're yet to know that will come through these doors. It's crazy and it's mind-blowing to think that my job is to create space for people I haven't even met yet. It's crazy when I think like that, to think that my job it's not to build a thing that I can be uh, comfortable and enjoy it, but I'm building something for people that are not even here yet, may not even been born yet. But my job is to hold their space and to preserve. Come on, the Word of God.